You are listening to the School of the Future podcast by GIIS. I'm Graham Brown, your host. In this series, we feature the GIIS community of teachers, parents, students, and thought leaders from across the region to discuss the forces, opportunities, and challenges that are shaping learning in the 21st century. This is School of the Future. How do schools and the curricula that they teach prepare students for the 21st century? In a world of change where the only certain thing is that the future is uncertain, how do we equip students with the right mindsets, the right core skills that helps them deal with a world that may not look like what we've been used to, and certainly not the subjects that we've been taught traditionally? So in this conversation with three of the curriculum managers here at GIS, Deepika Sodhi, Priya Kapoor, and Deepa Chandrasekharan, we're going to dive into the world of each of the three main programs. We have the IB Diploma Program, the Cambridge Program, and the IB PYP Program. So all your questions answered about those, as well as why is it in one of these programs they don't even have textbooks in the classroom? What kind of outcomes do they hope to achieve? And do we really need to teach children how to rote learn stacks of knowledge in a world where so much of it is available at their fingertips and through resources like Google? So if you have questions, hopefully they're going to be answered in the next 35 minutes with our three experts on the matter of international education. Enjoy. Welcome back to School of the Future. Graham Brown here, joined by three experts in the field of international education um, of various degrees and backgrounds, all responsible for managing programs and curricula here at GIIS. We'll do a quick round-robin introduction, asking a little bit of background to yourself as well, and then we'll dive into each of the programs and the curriculums that you're involved in. So, sitting first to my right, Deepika. Uh, Deepika Sodhi. Yes. Welcome to the podcast. You're the academic supervisor here for the international curricula. Correct. Thank you. What are, your background is what? You are a teacher? Yes. I take physics for Cambridge IGCSE and IBDP classes. Fantastic. And where did you train? Trained from Cambridge, trained from IBDP and studied from India. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fantastic. And how long have you been at the school here? It's uh, 11 years now. It's a long journey with GIS. Fantastic. And I've cherished every moment spent here. I imagine. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to diving into some of the subject areas that you're involved in managing here. And moving around the table here, Priya Kapoor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Graham. Yourself, you um, are the PYP coordinator here. That's right. At GIS. Um, your background, indulge us a little bit. All right. So I think born and brought up in India, I've done uh, my education largely um, in India. And um, after doing my bachelor's in teaching, I started with the elementary uh, teaching as a teacher, as an educator. And then slowly um, just happened to move into the IB primary years program. And after that, there was no looking back. So I've been an educator for over 15 years, but a PYP practitioner for uh, 10 years and maybe for the rest of my life. <laughs> Fantastic. Great. 
last but not least, Deepa Chandra Sekharan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Graham. Now, you look after, you're a diploma coordinator here, so you yes. deal with the older students, I guess. Yeah, yeah? the and, 16 to 19-year-olds. And how long have you been a teacher here? At GIS for 13 years, almost, mm. and as a teacher for nearly 22 years. Wow, fantastic. Are you the longest serving teacher here in GIS in Singapore? Of course, there are so many others, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay, uh, teachers... I'm going to ask you some questions from the parents. They want to know a little bit about these programs, these curricula as well. So at the very top level, we'll go around once again, and then we'll open it up, talk more about the different angles, the formats of these curricula, maybe some of the benefits, some of the challenges, some of the misconceptions as well about these programs. Um, Deepika, we're going to start with yourself. So Tell us about the age groups that you are responsible for here and what the program is that you're working on. Okay, actually I'm responsible for students aged 11 to 19 years old and the course progresses as multiple curricula. So from class 5, PYP or CBSE, they progress to Cambridge curriculum and uh, uh, we have two branches of Cambridge that we offer at our system, both lower secondary and upper secondary. As lower secondary students of classes 6 to 8, they follow that curriculum. And when they progress to ninth, they follow Cambridge IGCSE for classes 9 and 10. And beyond IGCSE 10, they go to IBDP, which they follow for two years. It's again a two-year regress curriculum. So the entire international education has been framed and the students have been given a pathway so mm. that they can progress from class 6 to class 12, which mm. is IB year 2. So the international pass, I'm going to ask each and every one of you about how does that fit in? What what makes it international as well? So we've got 11 to 19 here. Before that group, Priya, you're dealing with mm. 6 to 10, 10 11? Yes, 10 -ish, yes. And what, what is that program? So it's the IB PYP pro, uh, program and it's a curriculum framework, I would say, which mm. is uh, entirely child-centric. It's something which is very transdisciplinary and open-ended. And uh, I think it's the best age for the students to have a vast exposure to not just academic, but also co-curricular areas. And it's a wonderful age when they are kind of fostering, building neural connections, gaining knowledge. So we wouldn't want them to become textbookish. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, PYP does not uh, advocate having textbooks. And uh, this fluidity actually allows them to, you know, kind of go beyond textbook, go beyond classroom learning. It gives them platforms to develop their transdisciplinary skills and, of course, uh, makes them into lifelong learners mm. aiming to become global citizens because we are rapidly globalizing. So, you know, it's really important and significant that right from the very start, we start building these 21st century skills. So that you know the transition later on like Deepika was saying to you know Cambridge lower secondary program and from there on to the IB diploma program becomes seamless so that's mm. what the philosophy at school has been largely. You obviously said there are no textbooks you don't mm -hmm. advocate textbooks. Yes. <laughs> Does that mean there are no textbooks in the classroom? Absolutely no textbooks. <laughs> right oh interesting so obviously some of the parents listening are going to be wanting mm -hmm. to know why. Yes. So we're going to dive into yes. that as well, because yes. obviously that's by design. There's right. reasons for right. that. Right. And right. it'll be interesting to see how that syncs with some of the later programs mm -hmm. as well. Yes. Um, Deepa yourself, you, you deal with the oldest students here, yeah. right? 
Um, so that's the diploma program. Yes. The diploma is IB. Is that how it works? Yeah. Or help me understand. It's IB diploma program. Okay. Yeah. And that's got a reputation as being a bit of a challenge, hasn't it? I mean, as a as a parent myself, I know the students going into IB program. Often, a lot of them, the expectations are this is not necessarily going to be as hard as it actually is, and it pans out, right? Is it? Do, how about yourself as teaching this? Do you think it's quite a challenging program? Yes, it is a challenging program. It is a rigorous program, but at the same time, it pays off well because it is recognized by worldwide universities and students who complete the diploma successfully are placed well in the renowned universities. Yeah, I did A-levels from the, mm. the good old, bad old days. I mean, they're still going, A-levels, but what? how does that compare, for example, what I would have studied a few years ago at A-level compared to IB now? What would be the difference qualitatively? Okay, to answer this question, I think I should think from a different angle. Uh, I'm sure we all agree that we are in the fourth industrial revolution or the age of artificial intelligence. And we also know that technology is soon taking over and we need to prepare our students to meet the challenges. A lot of uncertainty is there. There is no, uh, I mean, the job opportunities are going to be different. Mm. So how do we prepare the young men and women to meet these challenges? So the IB curriculum is designed accordingly. It is, I mean, the IB also continuously reviews the syllabus and the curriculum that they offer, making sure that the students who take up the diploma program are ready to meet the challenges. Mm. So as I mentioned before, it prepares you for a lifelong learning journey. It's not that you just acquire the content. It's actually you're going to learn how to disseminate the content on your own, how to discuss and debate on the various theories that you learn, the concepts that you learn. And tomorrow when you come up with new things, how are you able to take it? How are you able to meet the challenges? And how will how successfully you will move on and meet the challenges that artificial intelligence or any such new things come up in the way? Okay, so I'll put a challenge out to you teachers then. Look at where we are today. We're in the middle of an, an unknown landscape, which is obviously the, the corona or the COVID-19 epidemic, pandemic. You're talking about international education and training the next generation with the skills and the mindsets to deal with the unknown, the uncertain AI, you know, that we don't know exactly what that's going to do to society, but we do know that the only thing that's certain is it's uncertain, right? So how do each of these programs, in a way, teach those learners to be ready for that kind of environment where, you know, maybe the only skills they're going to need are the abilities to learn new skills. It's that resilience, isn't it? Now, today, we need people who are resilient. If you look at the, the current environment, you know, we need people who can adapt because maybe education will change. Maybe the workplace will change. Look at all these people now saying we've got to work from home, or you can't meet people, you can't do events. All of that's changing. So how do we equip people? Let's talk about it, how that breaks down into each one of these programs. At the top level, how do you equip the next generation to be resilient, to be adaptable? Okay. And then how does that sort of pan out in the classroom? Yeah. Deepa, you're first. Yes. Um, I would like to take an example. Um, as you said, the students must be um, adaptable to changes I would put it 
be accommodative to changes mm. that is the human element the ethical values must also be present it's not just adapting but it is accommodating changes with an open mind and how does dp prepare the young minds for this they have something called a very challenging core component which is unique to the ib which is tok that is theory of knowledge and the extended essay both are research oriented and develops critical thinking and the outcome is going to be self researched output where they have an argument and they answer the argument for developing the argument and the answers to the argument they do a lot of research and the outcome is going to be a research paper so if i have to take some examples my students have already started analyzing how artificial intelligence is helping out various sectors already existing it could be image processing it could be uh, let me say climatic changes or it could be how artificial intelligence is going to help in the share market mm. so when you are training your students to do such kind of research and that too they are doing a guided research it's independent research under the guidance of a supervisor this ultimately will develop the educational skills and later on when they are faced with challenges i'm sure they will be able to find out problems i mean solutions to problems that will answer the question at hand mm. that to me deeper sounds very much like how you teach students at university level yes when they're doing a thesis yes. and you have a mentor yes. or a guide effectively yes. yes but a lot of it is self research yes right? it's independent learning okay are they mature enough I mean I'm going to ask some stupid questions so please like put <laughs> yeah. me in my place so yeah. uh, 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 you know a 16 year old's equipped enough to do that I mean that know. is where the curriculum like PYP CLSP CLS. IGCSC comes in hand right you're you're onboarding yes. them training them in that yes. mindset okay and the right pathway okay well there's the handover so maybe <laughs> we can start in the early years right priya with yourself so you're dealing with people I mean students as young as 6 right how do you teach that that kind of flexibility that accommodation of change mentally and then you know when they're handing over now to the later years programs like how do you um, ensure that they have that ability to self research and like manage themselves in a way right so start start with the point about flexibility okay sure so i think uh, i would also like to connect this with not having textbooks because mm. it really goes hand in hand with offering flexibility or being in a position to adapt themselves uh when we have uh, let's say about 20 24 students in a classroom um i think everybody would agree not all of them are going to have the same iq level or the same you know talents or skill set they are going to be different and unique like we always say in education industry every child is unique and so pyp is actually about honoring that uniqueness mm. you know we say they are unique but um if you have a textbook which is a prescribed textbook for all 20 students we're doing the same stuff with every child yeah. so what happens to the uniqueness we were talking about so it's really kind of leveraging that uniqueness in pyp so what ib does is it provides us with a broad framework and the learning outcomes and we know in language for a child of say grade age 6 to 7 year old they should be able to achieve this 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 in reading writing mm. listening speaking viewing and presenting you have these broad outcomes and again the achievement for every child will vary depending on you know the input 
and how they're applying themselves, how they're picking up on those skills. So when the textbook is out, then the students do have the opportunity to connect with the context, hmm. right? So the teacher's responsibility becomes huge in providing a meaningful context to the children, whether it's reading, it's daily mathematics, it's our units of inquiry on science and social studies. So we'll have a context. The unit of inquiry provides us with a context. It could be something as simple as a unit on plants. But then again, now that there is no textbook, the teacher has the leeway to talk about sustainability, mm. to talk about the UN SDGs. So our children in grade to know what are UN Sustainable Development Goals. Right. But don't they need a textbook for that? No. So I know as a parent, a lot of our listeners would yeah. be wanting to know, like, there's no textbook. So what yeah. do we fall back on? Definitely uh, parents being partners in their children's education, they want to support the children at mm. home. And to this end, every school, again, IB provides you that freedom and flexibility to develop that context. So every school will have it me its mechanism for keeping parents informed, be it your unit newsletter or be it the weekly con communication that goes home. And of course, there are times when, you know, there has to be, because we do realize that it's important at the same time to keep building in those writing skills yeah. and dissertion or research skills like Deepa was talking about. So there is enough work that is being produced in the classroom. And that is what the students will or the parents can refer to to fall back on because there is no need and there's no sense of urgency, I see, that the kids have to cram information from yeah. a textbook because rote learning is not going to be able to provide them with that flexibility, just like in context of coronavirus. Mm. We may not have studied that in any of the textbooks so far, but we have met with this challenge now. And now we have to devise ways to deal with exigencies and emergencies. And, you know, we are talking about these things to our students. And if the students know basic principles of hygiene, then they can apply to any context. Right. So that is what precisely happens in PYP. We develop those transdisciplinary skills as we go along developing the content that is there, that every school designs the curriculum. And with the development of the approaches to learning, as we call it in the DP or the transdisciplinary skills in PYP, the students are increasingly able to become independent and start taking responsibility of their learning. Of course, it's a guided exercise. They're really young when they start at six in grade one. And uh, initially it's guided, but slowly you can see, you know, that curve and, mm. you know, how the kids are progressing. They increasingly start taking responsibility of what they're going to say. They have to make an oral presentation and you can see how articulate they are because um, it's not about cramming. No, so, but yeah. cramming's easy though, isn't it? I mean, it, it's, uh, it's not for everybody, Graham. <laughs> right? Okay, but I guess it, it's certainly easy for a teacher to teach cramming. It's like so, open the book. So, what I want to ask is basically, if you're teaching them approaches to learning, you're teaching them the skills to learn skills and to you know be flexible of mind. Obviously it requires a bit more of a thoughtful approach, right? It requires more input from the teacher that you can't simply open the textbook, page 32, and memorize, right? So what takes longer? You know, and maybe I can open this for everybody because this is a more of a broad question. What takes longer in getting right in that approach? Because you're putting more foundations and you've got to be patient, haven't you, with this approach in all of these programs as well. So from your experience, from the teacher's perspective, what takes longer to get results there? Because I can get you to memorize the periodic table and get results straight away. You pass the test, 
right? But if you can talk about the application of chemicals or, you know, use in industry and society, that's very different, isn't it? So how would you answer that? What would you say from the teacher's perspective rather than from the curriculum side? I think, uh, I believe as educators and going in line with school's philosophy, I personally also feel that that education is not about learning of facts. It's not about learning of concepts, just that it's about training of mind. Training of mind to be responsible, training of mind to be reflective, training of mind to be innovative, engaged, think through, apply what they've learned. Mm. So the curricula, whether as Priya mentioned, that we start from as early as six years old and then moving on to as old as 19 years old and building in all these skills. So if you look at these curricula, they're built up and designed in such a way that these skills become an integral and inherent part of teaching each day, every day. So PYP, for example, we have no textbooks and that gives them a levi to play around with or deal with topics of the day, topics that go around us. So moving further, the things don't stop there. The mm. students, when they move to Cambridge Lower Secondary, we offer subjects like global perspectives. So at that young age, we start training them to think about global issues. And uh, recently, that the situation that we're going through, uh, COVID, that students have already started doing kind of build up or their research papers from class six students are working on that. Of mm. course, the level would change as they go to IB if they want to do it as part of their TOK essay. The arguments may change, but the training has begun as early as when they were in PYP. So that's how we gradually build up these skills, build up the application part of these skills and Training them that no, it's not just about rote learning or cramming. Mm. It's about actually applying those concepts in day-to-day -day situations. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> so, um, but you, you consciously, oh, I don't know. I'm curious if it was conscious, but you mentioned the word play, Deepika. And um, was that by choice? Like when you talk about playing around with ideas? Because I know in one of the previous podcast episodes, we talked about play and learning and how important that is. I mean, does that come, you know, is play make sense when you're dealing with 19-year-olds, 18-year-olds? I mean, do they play still? Or is that still, you know, help me understand that. Because I'm thinking like play, or maybe, you know, when they're this high, when they're like four or five, yeah, they can play. It's not the actual play which they used to play when they were young. Mm. It's playing with the concepts. Yeah. It's playing with the topics that they've learned. It's playing with linkage of the topics that they can do and not just within one subject. That means not linking a topic of chemistry to another topic of chemistry, but bringing an inter linkage of curricula like linking a chemistry topic with maths linking a mm. physics topic with biology bringing in english bringing in concept of literature so they play around the more they learn they get trained they play around with the topics and that helps them that helps them to be 21st century uh, skill learners that helps them to be, uh, to be ready to face the world like look at the situation that we are in and I would not, I would like to mention that like we are one of these schools to have started Zoom classes, mm. online virtual classes. And uh, honestly, all our teachers and all our students have taken it in a very positive spirit, in a very positive thing. On day one, our students were equipped on sharing screens and solving homework. So because they've been equipped, they've been equipped and they've, uh, our students in Cambridge are doing digital literacy. So this in, this also involves playing around with not just what they've learned, but actually applying it to a situation when it arose. 
Yeah. And I think the flexibility of mind is yes. in there as well. Yes. And when Carl Stubb was on the, the podcast as well, we talked about this idea of it's almost like three dimensional learning. You're, you're, you know, I know the play that we're talking about is different from a five year old as it is for a, a 19 year old, but effectively the mindset's the, the same, isn't it? You're experiencing, you're interacting, you're exploring, you're, you know, whether it's with different visual or sensory interactions with the knowledge as well but effectively i mean if you think about it a, a five or six year old when they play they're they're connecting their their sort of touch to their memory to you know the outcomes whether they fall over hurt themselves etc etc but at 19 you're now talking about at the older ages they're connecting with different domain knowledges right maths chemistry whatever it may be so that really is the same process isn't it not trying to think about things purely vertically you're trying to connect all and these horizontally. horizontally. Exactly. And that's how the yes, brain yes. works, isn't those neural connections. One of you mentioned neural connections earlier, so I think we're going there. Okay. Yes, but let me throw in some objections and I'll throw in a couple of my objections and then maybe you can talk about maybe some of the initial objections that parents have, which you overcome because they're used to 20 years of rote learning and it did okay for them right? Okay, let me throw the easy one out there. Yes, but my daughter, my son is going to become a doctor or going to become a lawyer. And to pass the exams, he or she needs to get very good at rote learning. If I'm a lawyer, I have to memorize thousands and thousands of case law. If I'm a doctor, I probably have to know every single disease, symptom, medicine, application possible. So I need rote learning and I'm tested on rote learning. That's my first objection out there. Let's deal with that one. Who wants to dive in first? You, especially here in GIS, I'm sure you've heard that many, many times, right? How do you deal with that, Deepa? Um, my perspective is whatever you said now is available on the internet, right? For a doctor, if he has to revise a particular case or for the lawyer, a particular case, he or she can have their own data bank, so that is just going back and referring. Hmm. What matters more is application. You get a new situation. How do you, with the acquired knowledge, referring back to the previous cases, apply new solutions to the problem in the hand? Hmm. So that is that is something already there. Why do you have to memorize that? Yeah. Easily available. Google. Is, has a lot of answers out there, but also, I mean, but maybe people will say, okay, that bit I understand, but maybe I'm tested on rote learning and my ability to absorb lots of knowledge. So how do you deal with that part? Because I get it in the real world. Yes, we need those skills, that ability not to absorb lots of information, but to see general patterns yeah. and apply it. But when it comes down to my test, I need to memorize <laughs> Not really, because even the university's approach are changing. Right. That is why the IB diploma or IBPYP and the international curriculum is gaining momentum. The universities are changing their style of assessments, uh, their style of finding out what is a capability, where does this particular student stand in terms of um, application of what the concepts have been learned. So I think since the change is happening in the universities mm. and they are looking forward for international students at large 
parents are now becoming more and more aware of the importance of international education and they are accepting the diploma program and way down to pyp mm. so i think that is not actually a problem anymore with more and more parents understanding the importance of international education international curricula and coming forward to uh, get their children admitted in these various curricula Okay that's good to know isn't it because yeah. we can make all the progress here but if the universities are the slowest moving part <laughs> of that chain it makes it makes work harder here yes. doesn't it I'll throw out another potential misconception and objection here and maybe then you can add some of your own because you have many years of experience of hearing these and allaying the fears of parents as well uh, okay let's take an example like learning a skill playing an instrument piano So to to learn the piano you have to spend hours and hours practicing scales and then chords and then memorizing sheet music absorbing lots and lots of information if you want to be a maestro you need to learn thousands of hours so how could you then say i mean how can you teach that without a textbook how can you teach those skills if somebody wants to be really good at that skill Have I approached it the wrong way first and put me in my place? No, we get your question. <laughs> how do you, how do you deal with that? Who wants to go first? So I think I'll answer this from the perspective of PYP. So when we get students they're really really young and at that age it's our responsibility to ensure that student uh, we develop that spark mm. uh in them so they are inclined towards learning let's say piano. right if i make it monotonous and boring and lecture style lessons i don't know out of the 20 students 25 students i have how many would want to pursue as as a career choice so out in pyp our endeavor is to ensure that you know students develop that love for learning they are exposed to not just piano they will be exposed to drums or guitar or other instruments for that matter right and of course there is the theoretical knowledge that needs to be in place right so students need to know what's a full note quarter note half a note and all of that so given the fact that we do not have a textbook it does not imply that there is no structure or there is nothing to do in the class whole day right mm. there is content it's just that it's not a prescribed content from somebody else it's a content that is devised very carefully keeping in mind the learning outcomes for each age level and keeping in mind the context of the school of the you know geography you may be operating in and so on and so forth so once you have that content that you have developed and you might need to customize it like i said in the beginning there will be students in the classroom and all maybe at different levels of achievement so i might have to fine tune that again so even my theoretical knowledge about piano lessons i might have to tweak it right so mm. i'll have to see maybe do a prior knowledge to see who are the students who've already covered this bit who know the basics and which is the level they need to scale to or who's somebody in my class who's already been tutoring outside and is at a relatively advanced level why should i start with that child at a grade 2 level when the child is already at a 
at, at an advanced level. Why must I bring him back? I need to push him to the next level. But can level. you teach them in the same classroom? You can. Right. You can, can you offer different. Will they not get bored? Will they not get frustrated? No, They're... because the way PYP is structured, they work in collaborative groups. Right. And that in itself is so exciting and energizing for the students when they get to work with their peers because they're not sitting in that lecture style and yeah, listening to yeah. the teacher and, you know, those dumbing down kind of lectures. So that's really enticing for them when we give them challenges. Okay. Okay, you know, this is what we're going to do. And again, uh, it's not that we're just talking about things. There are sometimes intentional provocations mm. set out or just like when we're talking about play, there are sometimes invitations to play set out. So it won't be a, you know, a lesson where you have to just do the theory and you've mastered the theory. Now go to the lab and start playing the instruments. Yeah. There is a disconnect there. Right. So when they learn through play, when they learn through investigation, through research, um, through discussion with peers, sometimes they make surveys, go and interview, you know, other grade, uh, other students from other grades and find out who likes to play this instrument. Find out from your teachers. Is mm. there anybody who's an expert who can come back to class for an expert lecture? So these kind of things contextualize the learning. It is something that exists in their environment. It is not something which is in a prescribed textbook that they must do because their parents are sending them to school. Compared to what we were subjected to, and I use that word very like consciously, at, at school and how we learn and we understand the rote learning method and what you're seeing now with the different age groups, if you could pick one thing that you see work really well I mean, you mentioned many different types of activities like group. Yeah. Like group collaborative. Yeah, collaborative and so on. Um, from your perspective, like, let's have some of those examples that work for different age groups and so on that you think, well, th this type, this wasn't taught 30 years ago, right? But when you see it in action, you think we should have been doing this from the beginning, right? Yes, right. What, what kind of examples do you see in your classrooms on a daily basis? You think, well, you know, we're missing out by not teaching this. Yeah. Actually, what I feel is, continuing um, where Priya had stopped, this leads to innovation. When you give the freedom to the child to learn on his own, give him the freedom to take his or her own time, it leads to innovation. So they will come up with new music. Same happens in 16 to 19-year-old cases. When we give them the freedom, the content is there, delivery is there, but then they are provoked for lot, a lot of discussions and debates. It is because their assessments are such that it will trigger the discussions. It is not uh, the kind of assessments that we used to have. It is going to provoke them into discussions and debates and finding solutions on their own. So all this will lead to innovative ideas ultimately. You say freedom. Freedom. Yeah. That can mean a lot of different things in the classroom. I'm going to take the the uh the skeptical parents hat on now and I'm going to ask you, you know, we need structure. We need a bit of discipline here. Sure. Because we can't just have them I know you mentioned for example it's not just them sitting around doing nothing, right? Um, obviously, the, the, the curriculum is very structured. Yes. But what, why do we need freedom in the classroom? Freedom is needed for students to collaborate, think on their own, come up with new ideas, discuss amongst each other, find out 
not just by reading the textbook but actually uh, discussing with each other or if it is a science subject experiment it find out so that kind of freedom uh, is needed some bandwidth really isn't yes. it but uh, freedom from fear perhaps well yes. teaching and open mindedness yeah exactly and but freedom doesn't necessarily mean without objective without goals no, in mind no all right? the curricula that we are talking about have very clear structured objectives where a particular outcome has to be met so i don't mean freedom means you don't have a structure or mm. you don't have certain objectives to be met all the curricula that we are talking about have their own objectives which we have to meet at the end of the course uh, delivery so that is there it is the guideline but then how do we actually impart it in the class that there is a lot of freedom freedom is there for the teacher freedom is there for the students actually yeah, if you look at the curricula they offer lot of scope like how deepa mentioned lot of scope for active learning and even assessment for learning is now uh, different from what used to be so the structures have changed over the years and because all the curricula have guided uh, structure guided objectives guided learning outcomes that students need to meet uh, there are timelines the course mm. we are bound by the timelines so bound by the timelines to complete the curriculum and assess students on that curriculum but within a particular class hour skills or techniques like uh, reciprocal questioning collaborative activities think pair share activities they allow gallery walks jigsaws allow lot of freedom to students to collaborate work together come up with ideas come up with solutions and that doesn't mean that uh, at end of the day they wouldn't have acquired the knowledge they've acquired the required skills they've mm. even acquired the re- relevant concepts that they need to know to be assessed for the exam so if you ask these skills these are those active learning techniques and assessment for learning techniques that are bringing the change mm. bringing the change and preparing students to face the world yeah absolutely that's what yeah. we want but i would say that sounds great but there must be a lot of pressure on teachers now i mean yeah. how do you keep up to date with all of this <laughs> yeah, because of course. you know having the freedom is great but that seems to put a lot of pressure on a teacher because it's not just opening a textbook we all know the stories from our old days where the teacher <laughs> would not even really know what they're teaching and just come in and open the textbook and go but it sounds like you have to have a bit more of a, a lateral approach to the whole you know i need to understand i'm developing all these different skills and i need to be seeing it across this longitudinal yes. approach right actually there's a paradigm shift if you see the way teaching was and the way teaching is yeah actually there's lot of change teacher is no more a, a lecturer in a class teacher is a facilitator she or he is a mentor and that is the need of the hour because we're actually preparing students for facing life facing yeah. challenges we have we have our task today is to ensure that they acquire the attributes that a particular curriculum is expected expecting from us like for example we want them to be confident we want them to be open minded risk takers inquirers balanced principled innovative engaged so just by a lecture method or rote learning method it may not be possible so teacher has to come up with ideas teacher has to come up with new ways of teaching and new ways of incorporating activities to involve all yeah. students to come up with innovative solutions great and i can see i i sense the energy as well in the room which is great and that, that's so important isn't it if you're facilitating you want to be passionate about your subject yes. that makes the students passionate 
you know, I was, will always remember the teachers who left that lasting impression upon us. They may have been teaching maths, they may have been teaching physics, but it was always that one teacher, isn't it, that was very passionate about it and they would act it out and they would facilitate your learning and your curiosity. That spark, I think you mentioned as well earlier. Uh, just rounding up, I'm, I'm curious, like, what have you introduced? You talk about like new ways of teaching and so on. Have you tried something like different in the classroom recently? Have you experimented with something that's very different from what I would have expected from my education? Yes, that that fits perfectly with the COVID-19 situation that yeah. the world is facing. So we've brought in the online classes that I mentioned earlier, and it has actually changed the way, entire way of teaching. We've had days when students have not reported to school, but they've joined the entire classes available online. And teacher is teaching, which I've also tried. We teach, students are able to see the screens, I'm able to share my screen. And to an extent, where in a subject like physics, they need to do a lot of work. So they could also solve questions and share their screens and everybody could see. So it's like kind of, honestly speaking, a very, very collaborative environment that we could create without actually having face-to-face -face students. So it's like awesome and marvelous and we are enjoying. Students yeah. are enjoying and there's no loss of study time. You're enjoying as well, Yes, right? I am yeah. enjoying because yeah. it's kind of, I believe it's it's kind of learning every day. Yeah. I mean, with the with the new technology that we've implemented, even we've evolved as teachers. Mm. If you ask me, I couldn't think of teaching or taking an online class probably two months from now. I mean, where two months before, I would not, I never have thought that I would one day be in a class teaching online and sharing my screen, which yeah. I'm doing today. So it's like kind of a good experience for me as well as a teacher. And I'm sure for students as learners, they're mm. enjoying as well. Like today, I forgot to switch on the camera and then immediately got a message that, ma'am, please switch on because I I don't want to miss even a single slide that you write. Great. So it's like we are enjoying, students are enjoying. It's mm. So learning is not just kind of restricted learning. It's no more boring. Students look forward to attend the classes. I think if we've achieved it, we've achieved everything. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you motivate students <laughs> yes. to come to the class, that's 90% yes. of it, isn't it? Because yes. once you're motivated, everything falls into place, True. doesn't it? You know, yeah. you, you will learn what you want to learn if you're passionate about it and motivated to learn. Just to add some more Please. points to that. Actually, um, teachers are also lifelong learners. Mm. So, in order to bring that spark, create that spark and keep the students moving to face the challenges, I think teachers have to do a lot of homework compared to the earlier teachers. Yeah. So, as you mentioned, you were asking quite a few times, aren't we pressured? Yeah, if you look at it as a pressure, it is a pressure. Or if you look at it as a passion, it is a passion. Mm. So, yes, it is demanding. Especially when you handle multiple curricula, it's going to be more demanding. You will have to, as per the sub guidelines given by each curriculum, you need to prepare. You need to make sure that you create that interest, you create that spark in the students so that you can sustain the class. Hmm. So that is a major exercise. And how do we equip our teachers at GIS for this? We make sure that our teachers attend regularly all the workshops that are conducted by the different curricula. So whenever there is a major change in the particular subject's uh, syllabus or there is a curriculum review happening, we ensure that our teachers attend the workshops and they are equipped 
in terms of assessment mm. in terms of content delivery they are equipped to face the students yeah that it, makes a difference absolutely it sounds like a lot of the sharing in in those workshops as well will be probably about best practices like yes. these for example your experiences yes. giving people confidence to do yeah. this as well well thank you so much for sharing your passion really is i mean i get that 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 energy as well and the work that you're doing here at GIS in preparing students for international education and you know the the impact that you're having on students as well i mean i get a lot of that from some of the conversations i've had here i see the students walking around the campus as well it's quite energetic and happy very different from the days of my school it's very <laughs> heavy and somber and very formal but then you know even if you think about it like going back deeper to the example when you're talking about that collaborative environment where you have students and you're a facilitator really now if we look at the parallels in the world of work that's what it is now you know you have for example like offices where people are now in these environments Correct, like yeah. everybody's on zoom zoom yes and you know the person who's running it's a facilitator so uh, if you actually look at it i'll put it this way our students are already empowered empowered mm. with use of this technology at this age which people are now exploring when they are forced to work from home or stay at home during yeah. covid-19 so they are empowered now right fantastic yes thank you so much for your time thank you graham deepika saudi priya kapoor and deepa chandra sakaran thank, thank you, you so much for graham. sharing your insights as well thank you thank, thank you, you graham You've been listening to the School of the Future podcast by GIIS. To learn more about GIIS, our community, and our latest thinking, visit us at www.globalindianschool.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.